Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hello, good morning. This is Ken Murray and welcome to The Michael Reed Show. Coming up, the FAI has debts of 55 million euros. Should the government bail it out? Or could clubs like Drogheda United end up homeless? Residents between RD and Castle Blaney are being urged to make submissions to Monaghan County Council over plans to upgrade the N2. We hear concerns from Christopher Call. A bill is working its way through the Oireachtas, which aims to ensure that pet owners carry litter bags to prevent fouling. We'll discuss the matter with Sinn Féin councillor in Dundalk, Rory O'Muraku. Sinn Féin is to introduce a private member's motion in the Dole, calling for a nationwide rent freeze. Owen O'Brien TD will tell us why rent increases are now out of control. The government promised a referendum to keep Irish water in public ownership, but so far, it's not on the agenda. Independence for Change TD Joan Collins will be putting the case for a public poll. And St Vincent de Paul asks you to give generously as over 50,000 families struggle to make ends meet this Christmas. Its president, Kieran Stafford, will tell us how bad things are for struggling families. Well, as you heard over the weekend, the Football Association of Ireland reveal it has debts of over 55 million euro. This is a phenomenal sum of money and the revelations come after what appears to have been a smokescreen presented by the FAI which gave the impression that it would be debt free by 2022. The figures are extraordinary and the debts will have serious consequences for the game in this country. The government has committed 2.9 million euro to the FAI but Sports Minister Shane Ross said he wants a cleaner out at the top. In the meantime, the government plans to bypass the FAI and distribute the money to clubs and the chair of the Oireachtas Transport, Tourism and Sport Committee, Fergus O'Dowd, has sought a meeting with Minister Ross this week. Deputy O'Dowd joins me in studio now. First of all, uh, Fergus O'Dowd, what's your reaction to the extraordinary revelations on Friday? Well, absolutely shocking. It's the biggest crisis ever in Irish sport that any national sporting body, and this is the most popular and the one that you know millions of people support every week, uh, has, has these debts. And obviously, clearly, the fact that their accounts haven't been signed off even today uh, by the auditor, that there are still concerns. So obviously, it's, it's, it's a, an absolute crisis of gigantic proportions and it will involve obviously significant uh, remedies. 
Right, you're chair of the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport and a delegation from the FAI were in to visit you some time back. Uh, do you feel you were misled? Well, I asked I asked uh, the, Mr Conway, the president at that, that time, and the outgoing president now, I asked him three times, would he do a forensic audit on the accounts of the FAI? And three times he didn't answer that question. And I, then I told him that they should, all of them, consider their position. And I was right. And clearly the Cozy Audit has now gone to the Gardaí. That's where it stays until they decide what they're going to do with it. Uh, but clearly there are huge ramifications, huge changes needed. On Wednesday of this week, uh, we will be having a special emergency meeting of our committee. It was asked for on Friday by Senator Podigo, Katie, whom you know. And uh, we're being, inviting in Sport Ireland this morning, uh, the FAI, who last night said they're happy to come in, and also Minister Ross. So it will be a very important meeting. And all the questions that you have and I have, and indeed the public have, will be put to them. Okay, but do you feel that perhaps uh, the FAI weren't, if you like, forthcoming with the truth in the hope of trying to charm uh, the government to hand over the 2.9 million euro? We don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know, and I support Minister Ross in finding a different way of getting the money to. There are 60 uh, full time uh, sports administrators who work with young people, and also he's also arranged that the money, <coughs> excuse me, for women's soccer, about 100. 98,000 is getting to them through a third party. So the government has and will continue to support youth soccer. Uh, we also have in this year's budget, or sorry, the sports grants, uh, soccer clubs have got something like 4.5 million, which indeed they need for capital works. So on the one hand, you have a very active, very vibrant, very much a voluntary young people and parents involved at the bottom level. But at the top, you have what produced this appalling outcome. Right, so but, but radical but change but is at, needed. But at the top, <coughs> Fergus, uh, let, let's get straight to the point here. We have an organisation that effectively uh, has spent more money than it has taken in. Um, is it time for the FAI to be dissolved and, if you like, a brand new organisation starts fresh? Well, that, that's a very important question we'll be putting to them. Uh, I th- what, I, what I personally want to see is uh, there are four new external directors about to be appointed, independent outside directors, and they have had no involvement with the FAI, excuse me, <clears throat> and they are they, their appointment is imminent. I think it may be held up because of concerns some of those people may have with the auditor's accounts, uh, but I think we have to find a way for new people to come in and effectively, yes, take over the organisation. Whether it is financially a going concern with 55 million plus debts is one question. Uh, whether you know what happens if they go into liquidation there are 200 people employed there uh, there are assets which would have to be sold or taken over that's one route the other route is can these new directors take over and can they change everything i don't know the answer to that okay well, well, <coughs> but, well, well. but but people won't accept it unless there is radical and absolute change in my view so i would say a rebranding is certainly what's needed absolutely a rebranding at the very least Okay, well, Shane Ross has spoken at length about these uh, so-called independent directors. I mean, how independent are they? I mean, who is appointing them? Who is approving their appointment? Well, what happened was that uh, there was a national advertisement in all 
all the national papers looking for people who would volunteer to take up that role. 150 people uh, applied. There's a, a national or an international organization of recruitment specialists interviewed all of them. They had a short list of 12 that was presented to the nominations committee of the FAI in late August. And there those names sit. So I don't know who they are, but I do know they are independent. They have been put through a rigorous process. If and when they're announced, they would have to have clear and absolute command over all issues in relation to the FAI. And I think that's the key point but for me. But when you say independent, I mean, are they people with involvement in <coughs> soccer? Well, they'd have to have a knowledge of soccer, I presume. But they must, they must, they must not be part of uh, the FAI process. They cannot have been in, uh, actively involved in it, I presume, in the recent past. Uh, so but so th- even if there's somebody out there now who feels that they could get in there and shake up the FAI, it's probably too late, is it? Well, I don't know if they applied. Uh, like, I mean, there are very, very good names. I mean, you, you've had lots of them in the media. I've heard names like Packy Bonner, who's a fantastic guy. And he's had his own <laughs> battles with the FAI. He has, yeah. And obviously, you've Niall Quinn. You, you've lots and lots of people there uh, who could do the job. So I don't know if they've applied or not. I don't know what their status is. But I do know there has to be absolute radical change and that means complete and utter change within their corporate governance. Uh, uh, there isn't, doesn't exist there. Okay, I want to talk now. to you yeah. about Sport Ireland because Sport Ireland was set up to replace the Sports Council and the objective of Sport Ireland was, if you like, to distribute funding to the various clubs around the country and this all arose following the debacle and shambles that went on within the Olympic Council of Ireland. Do you think anything has been learned from the Olympic Council of Ireland controversy? Yes, absolutely. There was a rebranding of the Olympic Council. Mr Hickey went out and Sarah Keane came in. and But no, she was already part of that organisation and she was one of the people who stood up to Mr Hickey uh, significantly. And there's a total and absolute radical change in in, in, in the Olympic Council and uh, the facts are that Sarah Keane uh, has, has the respect of everybody and she's new accountability within that organisation and she's changed it utterly. Nobody nobody questions their integrity, their governance or anything like that. And we need that sort of transformational change in the FAI and I think this is the way to do it. Um, but clearly, until we know who the directors are, until they're prepared to step up, uh, obviously, and I can understand reluctance at the moment, uh, we don't know what's going to happen there. But the bottom question is, you know, if they go into liquidation, what are the outcomes? If they're taken over by, obviously, the independent directors. And I want to say also that of the existing board, and I noticed there were all men uh, looking at them at the television there on Friday, uh, there has to be gender balance, and they're obviously clearly... Uh, on, the, on that board at the moment, uh, there are two people who who previously held office at a, at a high level in the organisation. So all of the other directors uh, are, are new in that context. Yeah, we, we've been down this road before. I recall local man Sean Connolly from Dundalk having to resign in uh, difficult circumstances. People like Brendan Menton, people like Bernard O'Byrne, uh, people like Fran Rooney and now John Delaney. And the picture that emerged was that the board has been if you like, a cosy club of lads, the so-called suits, who've been on the board of the FAI because they get the free trips to all the matches. 
they get free tickets <coughs> to all the big tournaments uh, and it's like a VIP lifestyle. Isn't the problem that uh, while you guys are giving public funds to the FAI and there's no, if you like, there's no demand that if you want public funding you have to meet a certain criteria, that you've effectively let the FAI off the hook for too long? Well, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, the facts are that auditor's accounts were presented to Sports Ireland every year. And Mr. Lenny was there for 15 years, so I'd, I'm not sure how long Sport Ireland are there, but audit accounts were presented and they were never challenged. Uh, so Sport Ireland had no reason to believe uh, that things were going wrong until obviously it, <laughs> these other issues turned up. Uh, but, but you know, the question of the 100,000 loan, I mean, in fairness to the press, um, you know, it was Mark Ty brought that. We, w- we wouldn't be here were it not for journalism actually and and his his incisive reporting but the question is sport ireland were told that the audit the cozy accounts which is the forensic audit shows that all of the government money was appropriately and properly spent so here is the question for sport ireland you're you're absolutely right they need to do further and more elaborate scrutiny and analysis behind the actual money that they give to the organisations, whoever they are. They need to be able to go in forensically and look at audited accounts and go behind them. And they need to look at processes and procedures. They need to see. They need to see that the board is asking questions. That it's not all. So this yes, is a wake-up call for Sport Ireland as well. It, it's a wake-up call for all of us. Like yeah. let's let's face it. You know, you have to have vibrant. Uh, uh, boards that are active and 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 are aggressive isn't the right word but are 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 questioning every single act of the chief executive sure sure uh, let me localize this for a minute uh Drogheda united um has its home on the windmill road it's united park and it is owned by the fai is there any fear <coughs> that the fai might sell united park to pay its bills and that a team like Drogheda united which is currently in division one could actually end up homeless next year is that a, a real possibility well, if, if a company and i'm not talking about the fai per se if any company goes into liquidation its assets are are sold off so that that is you know i don't know what uh, i don't know the legal relationship sure between the companies that you say there, uh, but I would hate to see that happen. I, I, want, I, 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 that's that's the reason why it may be necessary, you know, for for the wise and uh, tough people taking over and managing the assets such as they are in a completely new and corporate governance accountability way. And they're there the questions we have to ask on Wednesday. And that's, that's a very good question, Ken. OK, um, you've called a meeting with Minister Shane Ross uh, later this week. I think it's Wednesday. Wednesday, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, what are you, as chair of the Oireachtas Transport, Tourism and Sport Committee, what are you hoping uh, to achieve from that meeting? I mean, what, what are you hoping Shane Ross will say to you that's not already in the public domain? Well, I want to know, obviously, how he, how he's going to get this money to the youth organisations. I want to know his view and his view on the department about, uh, you know, a rescue pa- package, if that's one option. Uh, and I believe UEFA ought to be the vehicle for that and not the taxpayer. In other words, UEFA have significant funding internationally in Europe. And I think that they have a duty, uh, to, you know, to sort out the FAI financially. But I think the government... I think we have a role to play as well. The extent of that is what I want to talk uh, to him about it. Uh, the difficulty is, as you know, that FIFA, the international governing body, uh, resents any what they 
call interference from governments sure, in the running sure. of sport. So it's not a delicate balance. It's a question of right or wrong. How do we make sure that the FAI is run properly, accountably, uh, and and that the assets are protected like the Drogheda United Ground if if they do own it? Yes, yeah, sure. We want to hold on to those assets. We don't want them dissipated. Okay. The, the, the but how do you how do you how do you pay the debts? Well, the question that's being asked over the weekend is. Uh, unless the government come forward and pay the bills, the FAI <coughs> is insolvent as, if you like, a corporate entity. Sure. Uh, if the government don't pay up, what happens next? Well, I think the question is, uh, the debts are, at this moment, are 55 million plus. Uh, they have said that they're negotiating with the banks, they're, they're uh, rolling over their debt or whatever. So we will be finding out where is that at? And until the bank says, yes, you can refinance, then they, they may be very... I, I'm not a financial person. They mm. could be facing liquidation. And that means all their assets being dissipated or sold. And do we want that to happen? That's the question. But should a taxpayer bail them out? I don't think the government should bail out the FAI. I think UEFA should bail them out. And in fact, UEFA have been... I think they're funding... I've seen figures 10 to 15 million they've put into it already. And I, I, I don't see why UEFA couldn't guarantee FAI uh, funding with the banks to sort out their debts. I don't think that's the job of government. It's the job of government to make sure that they that they obey the law, that they are accountable in the corporate governance, uh, and that they do function. But at the same time, we want to make sure that Drogheda United and all of those voluntary people, the mums and the dads and the grandfathers and the grannies and the brothers and sisters, that every weekend go out, good weather and bad, to support their local team, that sure. they continue. Sure. Let me, so let, that's, let, that's the balance we have yeah. to find. Let, let me put this question to you as delicately and as carefully as I can. Um, the the cosy report, that's K-O-S-I, yes. um, has been, if you like, passed on to the Gardaí. Sure. Uh, there is uh, an allegation, and let me use my words carefully here, that there may, stress the word, may, there may have been some criminal conduct. I mean, let's assume there hasn't been criminal conduct. Sure. How much of a cause of concern is it to you that we're going down that road? Well, I think, obviously, uh, whatever organisation, if there are any issues in relation to forensic audits, uh, it's right and appropriate that they should be referred to the Director of Corporate Enforcement, who is already in there for nearly a year now, and to the Gardaí, if they feel it's necessary. I haven't seen that report, but I would like to discuss, if we can, on Wednesday, the recommendations of that report as to how they, how they apply to corporate governance issues, if they do. So there are issues arising from that report, putting aside any legal mm-hmm, or, or, sure. or financial sure. or other issues, that are there lessons that can be learned that we can talk about, but obviously Obviously, we have to be very careful because anything we might say, if there's going to be a, a, a prosecution down the road on any issue, we can't prejudice a fair trial. Sure, sure. OK, well, look, Fergus, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, the clock has beaten us. But it's, uh, it's a story that, uh, if you like, uh, captured the attention of the public and has shocked uh, a lot of people. Somebody remarked to me at the weekend that if Robert Mugabe read this story, even he would be shocked. <laughs> And that says something. Anyway, Fergus O'Dowd, uh, Chairman of the Oireachtas Committee on uh, Transport, Tourism and Sport, thanks very much indeed for joining us. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM.
By the way, if you do want to get in tech, uh, touch, our text number is 0861800658. That's 0861800658. The texts are starting to come in. The FAI story is starting to bother a lot of people, but uh, Marie will be giving us an update in about half an hour as to what you've been saying. Now, residents who live along the N2 between RD and Castle Blaney are being urged to make submissions to Monaghan County Council over plans to upgrade the N2, which of course runs from Dublin uh, all the way up to uh, Monaghan Town and up to the border with Ochnacloy, where it then becomes the uh, the A5 and runs on into County Derry. The government have plans to upgrade the road, but uh, some of the residents along the way are a bit concerned. Uh, Christopher Hall of the Residents Group joins me on the line right now. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning, Ken. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks very much for uh, taking the call. Um, this road is going to be upgraded one way or another, but of course the actual route hasn't fully been determined. What exactly are you calling on residents to do? Well, I suppose if we can give a background into the, the scheme, uh, Ken, obviously Monan and County Council in partnership with the TIA are developing a scheme. It's a 32-kilometre section of the N2 and we're advised it's an important project to enhance regional connectivity and to improve road safety, and road safety being a very key point. So that's a kind of the brief for the project. Um, where we have come around, obviously there's a consultation process in, in place at the minute. The first round of consultations was back in June, and it was classed as a study area of constraints. So just on that, the feedback we're getting from a lot of people is that you know, they weren't aware that there's options on the table here, six potential route options. So people thought it was just improvements to the N2, and only about 200 people turned out to that round of consultations. So the second round of consultations took place in November, um, and this was called the option selection phase. So it was at this point six route options were presented to the people of the public. So a lot of the general public were unaware and only for word of mouth from people attending these consultations did it get out into the area that people might be affected by this scheme. So I suppose the council done their part in terms of radio advertising and stuff but um, it's really still there is an unawareness of what the scheme is and the implications it may have for people on the route corridors. Okay, well are the issues here, if you like, the actual route of the road or is it the fact that uh, this road is going ahead anyway and that people along the way uh, aren't aware that they may lose their cottage, they may lose their front garden and that basically they have no input into the process? Well, I suppose their input into the process is by making a submission. So, first of all, let's try and create awareness to everybody in the proposed route corridors so everyone is aware that they could be potentially affected. And yes, we're talking about people's homes, people's lands, but people's livelihoods as well. I suppose in County Monaghan, there's an awful contingent of small farmers and their entire land could be within the proposed schemes. So, safety is, is one of the briefs for this project and we fully support improving the safety of the existing route. There's no question or doubt about that. But we would oppose the different options that are possibly on the table. Like, does it make sense to create a new scheme right through the rural community and heart of this country? Um, Or can safety improvements be carried out to the existing route to, to avoid that? Like, there's no capacity issue on this road, which is a very important point. So we fully support 
safety improvements to the existing route. Um, but we would we would like to see justification on the possibility of a complete new road. On okay. The, on the Is your gripe, if you like, with Monaghan County Council or Transport Infrastructure Ireland in terms of, if you like, a lack of awareness, a lack of PR, a lack of engagement with people along the route between, we'll say, RD and Castle Blaney? There, there's no doubt there's a lack of awareness. I suppose the, the County Council and the TII have ticked their boxes. They've put you know, advertisements in the papers and the local radio. But that doesn't contact, you know, all the people that's potentially affected. You know, just to give you a statistic, 50% of people over the age of 65 haven't used the internet in Ireland. So not everybody's reading the local paper or listening to uh, the local radio and, and hearing about these advertisements. So that's where we have set up a, a community group in the area now, that group stretches from Castle Blaney all the way up to RD. Um, and we're really trying just to wa- raise awareness that there's schemes here. There's six options on the table. You may be affected. And the importance for people to get their submission in and make their concerns noted if they have some. OK, well, now, we've nobody here from Monaghan County Council. But Jacobs Engineering, uh, they say that they hosted a if you like, three days of public consultation on the scheme in Carrickmacross between November 5th and 7th last, and they might say, well, look, you know, we've offered it out to consultation. If people don't come forward, there's not a lot more they can do. I mean, to be fairness to Jacobs Engineering, they've done their bit. Would you accept that? I accept that they had the round of public consultations, and even better, they they have offered people to come down to their offices in the MTech building in Monaghan. You could make an appointment go down and get a bit more information on the scheme. I suppose the, the issue with a lot of people was there was no awareness of the scheme pre-consultation and it, it, it was only the second round of public consultations where awareness started to, to be, become known to people. So it was, you were landed into the second round of consultations and then you realised, right, well there's other options on the table here. And it, it took time for that to sink in with people and to raise awareness and then to, to actually realise how this may impact people personally oh, oh, oh. and the local community sure. in the area. Can, can, can I just put in uh, just a couple of more questions before we, we, we wrap it up? You had a meeting in Donamoyne, which is outside Carrickmacross, yesterday. How many people showed up and what exactly did they say? Well, that was on foot of a meeting we had about uh, last week on a Tuesday, last Tuesday night, we had a, a public meeting for people to attend, and the purpose of it was obviously to raise awareness, and we went through a kind of the submission process, so that started, that was very well attended, it was a full house, um, and we had an open day in the community yesterday, yesterday, the purpose of it was to assist people with their submissions, so it was very well attended. Um, a lot of people coming in, again, not fully aware of, of the impact it may have on them. Um, and it was to give people points on, on how to make their submissions. You know, there's there's kind of maybe six key criteria, economic, safety, environmental, and accessibility and social inclusion. So it was to try and help people getting aware with the information that need to make a, a good submission. Um, sure. 
and obviously to, for as many people as possible to make a submission. But finally, Christopher, because we're up against the clock and we have another item to move to, but if people uh, between RD and Castle Blaney want to, if you like, get their speak in further before any final decisions are made, who should they contact? Uh, well, they can always contact Jacobs Engineering down in Monaghan to get more information on the scheme and how they can be affected. Um, Jacobs have a phone number. It's 087-340-3786. Or there's information on the project website, www.n2monaghanloud.ie. The submission dates are the 19th of December. Um, it's very important people have their submissions in for that date. And I suppose in terms of the, the local group, um, we have uh, people can contact us in the locality if they wish, um, just to, to get a bit more information on the scheme if, if needed. OK, Christopher Hall, thank you very much indeed for joining us. That's uh, the story that's ongoing between RD and Castle Blaney and plans to upgrade the N2. Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, if you're about to sit down and have a cup of tea and a biscuit, this item just may not be for you. So I would ask for, if you like, listener discretion over the next uh, number of minutes because we're about to move on to something that's a public scourge. We're all familiar with it, but uh, it seems there is a failure on authority to do something about it. And it's about the ongoing problem in all towns and cities around the world of pet fouling. You take your cat or your dog out for a walk or whatever you do and the dog treats the footpath as a toilet, to be pretty blunt about it. Well, it will be mandatory for dog owners to carry a litter bag when out with their pets in public if a new bill introduced in the Dole on Wednesday is passed. Now, the legislation is aimed at a small minority of dog owners who simply don't seem to care about how their pets treat footpaths and roads and so on and as I said, we all know about the scourge that it is. I'm joined on the line now by Sinn Féin councillor from Dundalk, Ruri O'Muruku. Uh, Ruri, what exactly is the real objective of this bill? Well, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's that any person in charge of a dog in a public area, um, if they fail to produce a suitable bag or instrument to properly dispose of dog feces when requested to do so by a dog warden, litter warden or member of Angarda Shea um, would be in breach of the law and would have a fine. What sort of fines are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the lettering fines, which are 150 quid at the moment. It's against the law for somebody to bring a dog out and literally to to let it foul the area. Um, but it's incredibly difficult, obviously, to police. Uh, you also have the situation where um, either a litter warden, dog warden, a guard would need to see this happening or somebody would need to go to the effort of reporting, making a, a statement and and all those other situations and factors. And in an awful lot of cases, this won't happen. Now, like you said, most dog owners are responsible. They do what needs to be done. But we have a case that our parks and even some of the streets and the states have a considerable problem with dog fouling. And... That's a difficulty that could lead to, obviously, health difficulties that everybody realises. But even outside of that, just a nuisance factor that anyone will be aware of who's had to clean a pair of shoes that have 
you know, suffered the fate, particularly their 10-year-old um, sure. kids, runners, you know, with all the various grooves and all the rest sure. of it. Sure. I'll come to the health uh, issue uh, a little bit later on because it is actually quite serious. But uh, as you touched on there in your response to my last question, the question is, how does somebody, if you like, police this? I mean, are we talking about the appointment of more dog wardens or should parking attendants double up as dog wardens so that there's some sort of greater presence of authority on our streets and housing estates so that if somebody is seen walking a dog and the dog decides to go to the toilet, there's somebody there to say, look, Johnny, your dog uh, fouled the street. Uh, That'll be a fine of €150. Or, you know, what do we need to do to make sure there's greater vigilance here? Greater vigilance is always required. We, it's probably not feasible to have a situation where you can have, you know, displaced to the nth degree. But what it is possible to do is if you have an area where, let's say, there is a situation where you have, you know, multiple fouls occurring and you have, a, you have, we have a number of parks where people try to walk, run, walk, you know what I mean? Walk prams, kids, and they're absolutely covered with uh, dog feces. What you need in a situation is like like that is that the people who deal with these problems usually would be litter wardens, nearly more so even than dog wardens, that if they decided to uh, focus in on one place, that they at least would have the modalities, the protocols, the powers required to do something about it, as opposed to literally having to wait and see and watch and catch, you know, a dog and its owner in the act, for the want of a better term. Sure. And can I ask you this, uh, Rory, uh, and you touched on it earlier on, um, can you just outline to, if you like, pet owners, uh, the serious implications, for example, for children and indeed for adults, that when dogs treat footpaths or roadways as a toilet, the potential damage to one's health arising from the bacteria that is left behind? Uh, yes, I mean, you're talking about kids, obviously, sometimes, you know, particularly young kids, they're not going to be as careful. They won't look at their shoes. They will take them off badly. They, you know, you literally will have feces move from uh, shoe to hand to wherever else. Um, you're talking about you can have fever, coughs, wheezing, enlarged liver, rash, swollen lymph nodes. And in extreme cases, it can lead to blindness. Now, all of this, um, that that's the severe end. Yeah, people might get, I suppose, minor ailments where they're getting sick, they're vomiting, whatever. You could have, uh, you know, and I suppose that's serious enough when it's happening within, within a house. It's serious enough when you're dealing with young children. Um, but you can have incredibly serious outworkings of all this, and it's all avoidable. You know, I accept that these are, you're fairly serious and it would possibly be difficult enough for these situations to arise but we know we can definitely reduce the chances of them happening altogether if we ensure that um, the people that are able to police this have the powers to police it and also then that there's extra onus put on people to be responsible and I suppose sure. if, Just if you have a case that this will provide this will provide the council, the guards and whoever else with the leverage necessary and I suppose people who are a bit slower to learn the lesson will learn the lesson. Sure. Well, uh, Sean Crow and Kathleen Funchen uh, are introducing this bill in the Dáil on Wednesday and I think at face value it sounds logical and common sense but are you getting any support from other parties in the Dáil for this? I think there's a wide level of support even at a council level. This is an issue that comes up all the time. Anybody who 
offers clinics in relation to representations from the public. Anybody who is out and about meeting people will consistently, constantly get that, you know, in Dundalk, in Drogheda, RD, everywhere. And that's in relation to parks, it's in relation to roads and streets, and it's in relation to the very estates, housing estates that we live in. And it's just an absolute necessity. I can't see how we won't get uh, wholesale support for this. Okay, well, it's something we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on. That's uh, Councillor Rory O'Murakou, Sinn Féin councillor based in Dundalk, who uh, was talking there about that bill that aims, if you like, to insist that uh, dog owners carry litter bags when they take their pets out for a walk. As I said, if you do want to get in touch, our text number is 086-1800-658. Marie Cairns will be with us shortly to see what you have been saying on the text machine. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, good news this morning is that an AED defibrillator, which was stolen from outside a shop in the village store in Aston Village in Drogheda over the weekend, was found this morning. Uh, to discuss it further, I'm joined by Sinn Féin councillor for the area, Tom Cunningham. Uh, first of all, Tom, tell us about the background to this theft. Good morning, Ken. Yes, uh, this defibrillator was taken on Friday evening, roughly around 930 uh, looking back at the CCTV, the people who took this spent approximately 10 minutes hitting and pulling out of the box until they eventually broke into it, opened the box and took the defibrillator. They then hung around the area for another hour afterwards, and thankfully this morning it was recovered. But at this time, we still don't know if it's usable or what state it's in. So it'll be this evening. Again, we discover that it'll be given to the Lord of Malta to have a look at it and see what state it actually is in. Uh, the defibrillator itself, um, how much did it cost? Uh, the defibrillator was funded to €1,500 by the Sinn Féin reps from the Borough Council area before the last local elections. Uh, the allocation was given to the Order of Malta, which in turn, the AED, the defibrillator itself, would have been roughly 1,100, and the electrical uh, box, the box and the electrical fitting, would have cost me another 400 euro. And let me ask you this, do we know if any locals were in any way inconvenienced by this? At the moment, I could not say, I did not hear anything like that. Uh, one of these machines, it's, this is a vital piece of emergency equipment that can save someone's life. I was just reading yesterday from uh, an interview that JRD gave from the National Ambulance Service, and it was stating that 70% of cardiac arrests occur in the home. Now, that, that figure to me, just that shows how important that Navy, a piece of equipment is in an area. Now, the reason, one of the reasons why Aston Village was uh, was put in Aston Village was because of the distance to the next one. And how far is the next one away? The next one is the cottage hospital, so it is. So, you know, the time, for every minute without a defib, the victim's chances of survival decreases by as much as 10%. So it's vital to have one be spread out in areas that you can that there's someone 
training that can actually go and get this. Within Arson Village, there's 11 residents and staff from the local school were trained in CPR and how to use this AED by the Order of Malta. I, there is further classes planned in the future for locals to get involved, to get trained up on this machine, to be able to use it. It's very important, very vital piece of emergency equipment. Well, on the assumption that the defibrillator is in perfect working order, I mean, what's your plans from here on in? Will it go back where it was? And then do you have any fears that this could happen again? It will go back to where it was. Uh, there's always fear, no matter where the defibrillator box is placed, that you are going to have something like this. But we have to keep these ADs in the areas, in different areas. They're so vital. Uh, I will cover the cost through me council allocation, community allocation fund to replace this, whether if the defibrillator is still workable, but the box will have to be replaced or fixed up. We will wait over the coming days. We will find out now how much this is going to cost. There will be a cost in it one way or the other. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. That's uh, Councillor Tom Cunningham, a Sinn Féin councillor on Louth County Council there, talking about the theft and recovery of a very vital piece of equipment called a defibrillator, which was stolen from Aston Village uh, at the weekend. Okay, you're listening to The Michael Reacher with myself, Ken Murray, and uh, you've been busy on the text machines and to get, if you like, a, a sense of what people are saying. I'm joined in studio now by Marie Kearns. Something tells me, Marie, that the FAI story has bothered a lot of people. It's definitely done. Dominating the comments coming in this morning, Ken. Good morning to you and to all our listeners. Seamus from Dundalk is one of those listeners. He says, Ken, it is football at local grassroots levels that is going to be affected by this. I feel so sorry for the many volunteers all over the country who do so more, much work for nothing, for soccer in this country. And your heart would go out to them who are there week in, weekend. Uh, doing what needs to be done to keep the show on the road. Sure. Geraldine from East Mead, how can an organisation owe such a vast amount of money and pay out such big bucks to those at the top? It's a disgrace. Texter, where did the money go from the FAI? I'm that, confused. That is, that is the question. Where did the money go? Well, and hopefully it may be answered over the coming weeks, Ken. How can the FAI pay John Delaney this type of money? And they are broke. That's another texter. Jack says uh, Shane Ross is complaining about misuse of monies in the FAI, and rightly so, and taking responsibility. But what about the wasted money on the children's hospital uh, and the fact that it's gone so much over the original budget? Who is going to take the blame for that? Hi, Ken. Our government is a disaster, says Claire from County Meath. It's their fault. Our football is in a mess. A mess. Um, the government here doesn't have to provide receipts for anything, it seems. They claim for everything. And it's the same with so many other bodies. But can I put it to you, Maria, and, and this is something that comes up all the time. The government seems to be getting blamed for the running of the FAI. The FAI, at the end of the day, is a private company and the government just gives a donation every year to running it. I mean, the government seems to be getting the blame, which I think is a bit unfair. Yes, 
I know, but I suppose people probably think anything that happens in the country, the book stops. It's all the politicians' fault. The book stops with with the the government. Uh, Another listener says, uh, listening into your interview with Deputy Fergus O'Dowd, he mentioned that it was journalism, Ken, that brought this uh, to the fore, that highlighted what was going on. Doesn't that say a lot? Any scandals we know in this country wouldn't be public knowledge but for good journalism, and that's why journalism needs to be protected. Joanne also in touch she phoned in this morning and she says she's furious at what is going on in the FAI and why she says Ken can you cast your mind back to last year when the ladies football team were changing uh, they hadn't got proper that's changing right. they had facilities to hand back their track suits. that's right and that there wasn't enough money to actually provide them with what they needed that's right and to think that this is what our national ladies team was going through and uh, when you look at the wasted money in the FAI so she's absolutely not one bit impressed yeah. uh, another listener says it would be just off if the FAI had to sell off uh, land to cover their bills. Uh, What about the people on the ground that worked hard to keep these clubs going? So lots coming in on that uh, so far. I was going to say Michael Ken. Uh, On the dog fouling, we've some in on that as well, so I'll get to a couple of them. Um, And those litter bags and the bill from Sinn Féin. Seamus from Drogheda says, interesting conversation, Ken, but as a person who does a lot of walking around Drogheda, just because a person has a bag with them doesn't mean they will pick up after them. James says that he's often seen uh, dog walkers with bags and then when the dog does the business, they have a quick glance around and if they think nobody's looking, nobody's they'll looking move on. And they'll get away with it, off they'll yeah, go. Yeah, sure. So he says that he can't see this working. And he says that, uh, what you know, it may be grand to bring in the legislation, but who is going to police it? And you said that. And another listener actually uh, also takes this up. Uh, Mary says, Ken, you hit the nail on the head. Who is going to police this? Uh, as it is, it's against the law not to pick up uh, after your dog. So why would uh, they be able to enforce actually carrying a bag when they're not properly enforcing sure. uh, people picking up after the yep, dog. Valid point, yeah. So uh, that's it. Uh, another caller says, uh, this comes in from Catherine, who says, uh, Ken, I've listened continuously to various different guests on your show, uh, on the Michael Reed show over the last couple of years in relation to this itch issue. You're right, it is a scourge, but I cannot see anything uh, coming out of it until you actually have it pleased. So that's the issue with people. You can yeah. bring in all the bills you want, but unless it's pleased... And Liz, Liz and Athboy was on to us as well, saying more or less the same thing, that uh, people let their dogs foul the footpaths, but basically ignore it and just walk away. So there's double standards being applied by pet owners, and they don't think of those who are coming along after them who might just step in it. And Absolutely. We, and as we heard earlier on... Um, dog poo can carry a lot of bacteria that if handled by children or whatever can cause all yes. sorts of further problems and so I had on. a lady on a couple of weeks ago actually who was just so annoyed because wheeling her baby out Ken and the wheels obviously went over dog poo without her knowing back into the house 
And of course, it was only when she had wheeled yes, the pram in, yes, got the problem. smell, and she realised it and yeah. embedded in the carpet and everything. So, uh, people, a lot of anger out there over this topic. So, look, we'll leave it there for the moment. Yep. And keep those texts coming. You can get in touch on 086 1800 658. 086 1800 658. Ken Murray on LMFM. Keep those texts coming on 086-1800-658. Well, now, you probably don't need me to remind you that uh, renting accommodation is out of control in this country. I think I read somewhere that Dublin is the fifth most expensive city in Europe to rent accommodation. And one might say it's a classic case of where demand is greater than supply. Sinn Féin is to propose legislation that would put a freeze on rents and is calling on Fianna Fáil to support the Bill, given their criticisms of Fine Gael's record on housing. The uh, party spokesperson, Owen O'Brien, will move the rent freeze fair rent bill during private members' time uh, tomorrow in the Dáil. And Owen O'Brien joins me on the line right now. Um, let me begin by asking you, Owen, I mean, we've had rent freezes in a number of counties in the greater Dublin area, and I think you yourself are on record as saying that the rent freeze uh, zones are not working so what makes you think that if this bill was passed, that a nationwide freeze would do the job? Well, good morning, Ken. Uh, firstly, you don't have to go to Dublin to experience the mental crisis. Your own listeners in, in Louth and Leeds will have experienced exactly the same kind of dramatic rent hike since this government took office. Uh, in, in the three years since uh, the start of 2016, rents have risen almost 50% in, in the two counties. So it's now almost €5,000 more a year to rent in Loudoun Meads than it was when, when this Fine Gael government took office. The problem with the previous uh, uh, rent proposals that uh, I suppose Fine Gael introduced was that they were capping rents at 4%, but landlords were still allowed raise rents uh, and there was a series of loopholes which they could use to, to avoid the 4% cap. What I'm proposing is, is two things. First of all, all rents would be frozen for an emergency period of three years. Uh, existing tenants would have the rent frozen at its current level uh, and any new tenancy, the rent would be frozen at the Residential Tenancies Board Local Rent Index. But that's not enough to assist renters because in many cases rents are too high. So we're also proposing a refundable tax credit worth effectively about a month's rent whereby at the end of each year renters would claim back a, a full month's rent so that we would be reducing rents by at least 8%. Now, they are emergency measures, and what we need government to do alongside that is start to invest uh, a significant sums of money in, in producing a stream of good quality, affordable rental accommodation for people, and at the same time, increase investment in social housing to reduce the stage for reliance on the private rental sector for social housing needs, thus freeing up more stock and, and bringing down prices. Uh, isn't the problem, though, what's happened is that when the economic crash happened, the government and the banks were so keen to offload distressed properties, they gave them to these vulture funds who came in, pushed up the price of rents in Dublin, and landlords elsewhere decided, well, if a landlord in Dublin can get uh, a 1000 a month, I'll push mine up in Meath or Louth to 800 a month, but they've gone up again in Dublin, so they've gone up again in Louth and Meath and so on around the country that something needs to be done if you like to put the squeeze on the big property owners in Dublin and that might then have if you like a knock-on effect further on down the country well what we need is we need affordable supply so for example asking rents allowed at the moment are 1200 euros a month and need are 1300 euros a month 
Uh, and in those towns closer to the Dublin commuter belt area, they're higher again. Uh, the difficulty is, <clears throat> if we leave the market to its own devices, we have exactly the problem that you've outlined. Uh, and that's why rents continue, continue to spiral upwards. So while the freeze is necessary to stop uh, increasing rents on hard-pressed renters, we need affordable supply. And I suppose one of my other criticisms of government is, is a lot of their, their supply-side measures uh, are simply about trying to encourage the private sector in. So very generous tax breaks for uh, investment funds, uh, etc. That is beginning to produce some supply, but it's far, far too expensive. It's at the high end of the market. And that's why we need local authorities, approved house, housing bodies uh, and co-housing trusts to be developing good quality, affordable rental accommodation for working people. Now, we also need affordable purchase accommodation alongside that. Uh, but that would require a completely different policy to the one that the government is currently putting in place. Uh, uh, Sinn Féin, in our alternative budget uh, in September of this year, called for an investment of about €2.3 billion Euros annually, not just for social housing as we traditionally understand it, but also for a significant volume of, of affordable rental and affordable purchase homes for working people. And if you started to have that kind of supply delivered, uh, not just in Dublin, but also in, in uh, Loud, Mead and elsewhere, you'd start to see affordable rental accommodation uh, uh, prices that people can afford. But you would also start to take strain off the existing rental stock. Uh, for example, we currently have about 100,000 households living in the private rental sector, but subsidised through HAP, RAS and Rent Supplement. If we started to move those people into standard council housing, that would free up a lot of additional stock as well, uh, 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 increasing supply uh, and bringing down uh, prices. But the crucial thing is this. Today, as it stands, renters uh, uh, right across the state uh, are experiencing the highest levels of rent ever in the history of the country. Uh, they've increased, as I said, 50% since this government took office. In fact, much higher since Fine Gael took office some years ago. So what we need is to give renters a break now, freeze rents, put a rent, month's rent back in people's pockets uh, and then government needs to focus on sure. supply and affordable supply. Well, you, you touched on supply there. I mean, this is all being driven by the demands or the dynamics of demand being greater than supply and there seems to be an extraordinary amount of unoccupied or derelict buildings around the country. Would you not be better putting a, a bill through the House that gives greater incentives for property owners uh, to do up unoccupied properties and basically increase increasing the available housing stock in the country, and that might help to bring down rents in the long run. Well, such a bill has already started it to, to progress to the all. We actively supported it. It was introduced by another party, but it would have created a one-stop shop uh, uh, to make it much more uh, uh, efficient and easy for owners of properties, particularly, say, in towns and cities above the shop uh, uh, units, uh, for them to get their planning permission and compliance, etc. Unfortunately, the government is stalling that bill by refusing to give a money message. We've also been calling for quite some time for increased investment uh, in bringing back vacant stock. And again, in our alternative budget, we outlined how you could do that. Importantly, Loud actually ran a pilot scheme, the County Council there, uh, uh, over a year ago, where dedicated staff and funds were put to acquiring vacant, and in some cases derelict buildings, uh, and bringing them back into use through compulsory purchase orders. And they got about 40 units uh, into the council stock. So... There's been lots of proposals around that, although to date the government has been very slow in addressing it. But while all of that is happening, uh, uh, renters out there, you know, paying, for example, 12 or 1300 euros a month, they need some assistance. Uh, this government has provided tax relief for almost everybody else in the housing system, first time buyers, landlords, uh, and developers. Uh, and rents are now so high uh, that uh, uh, renters need some assistance. 
uh, for an emergency period, as we're proposing. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Increasing supply and increasing affordable supply is the long-term solution. Sure. Well, now, you're calling for Fianna Fáil to support you in this uh, this bill. What are the soldiers of destiny saying to you? Well, and the reason why we're calling, obviously, on all of the opposition parties to support us, but uh, a number of years ago, we tabled legislation. Uh, this was before rent started to spiral out of control that would have linked rents to the consumer price index. So as wages went up a little bit, rents could go up a bit. But as wages come down, rents will go down. Uh, and unfortunately, Fianna Fáil blocked that bill. Uh, uh, and if they had have supported us at that stage, some of the excessive rents that we've seen may not have happened. Uh, only two weeks ago, Michael Martin, during leaders' questions, said that he believed it was time for the government to consider a rent freeze. So what we're saying to, to Fianna Fáil very clearly, as we're saying to all of the opposition, now is a chance to give renters a break. Uh, Darrell O'Brien, the Fianna Fáil uh, uh, housing spokesperson on Thursday, said they were considering the issue and they would make a decision on Tuesday. Uh, and we would just appeal to Fianna Fáil uh, uh, to look at what renters are experiencing, look at the huge cost they're paying uh, and stand with renters for a change. Uh, uh, so that we can uh, start to alleviate some of that financial burden on them. Well, uh, bills like this have come up uh, in the Dole before, and uh, what's not too well known is that a significant number of TDs and senators in the Oireachtas are landlords themselves, and they appear to be in no rush to introduce or back legislation that might affect their pocket. Isn't that a problem for someone like you who wants to get legislation like this through the books? Well, I would I would hope that uh, when TDs, particularly opposition TDs, uh, uh, come to deal with this issue uh, tomorrow, they won't think of their own self interest. They look at the the very high rent burdens on on renters across the state, and they'll do the right thing. Uh, obviously, the public will have to make up their own mind on how people vote tomorrow night. But in the first instance, let's let's have the debate. Uh, let's let's listen to the arguments, and I think there are very compelling arguments as to why this bill uh, should go through. Uh, and then let people vote and, and the public can, can then see who's on the side of renters uh, and who's on the side of Owen Murphy and Leo Varadkar. Uh, in countries like Germany, Austria, uh, the Netherlands, uh, tenants have a thing called security of tenure. In other words, when they sign, if you like, the uh, the, the, the lease agreement to enter a property, the, the price is fixed for a particular long period of time and there's a bit of security there. It gives them a chance to save, gives them a chance to put a few quid together for a mortgage. Isn't that one of the things that's lacking in this whole accommodation crisis? Yeah, like there, there, there are two weaknesses of our, our current uh, rent regime, and this is even before the spiralling rents. The first is, while we have a certain level of security of tenure, uh, there's a series of opt-outs for landlords. Uh, so we have uh, previously proposed, and unfortunately Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voted them down, but what's called tenancies of indefinite duration. You sign a tenancy, and so long as you pay your rent and you don't damage the property, you can stay there indefinitely. We also, as I said, proposed previously linking rents to the consumer price index. And, and I suppose our, our medium to long term view is if we get the rent freeze in uh, and if we get supply going and prices start to normalise, you would then shift towards uh, rent certainty, whereby rents, uh, the movement up or down, tracks the movement up or down of wages and, and the economy more generally. It's much better for tenants, but it's also much better for landlords because you don't get dramatic peaks and troughs. Uh, in rents, uh, what you do is you get a level of certainty. So everybody, both renters uh, and landlords, know what the, the, the medium term holds. Uh, unfortunately, again, like I say, when we propose both of those measures, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voted against them uh, on a number of occasions. But tomorrow we have a real opportunity to give renters a break uh, to put up to €1,500 Euros, uh, a year back into their pockets 
and to ensure that rents stop rising for three years while we get supply and affordable supply on track. Let me put another scenario to you, Owen. Um, there's a lot of people out there who might have bought one house and rented it out with the view that the rent would pay the mortgage and when the mortgage was finally paid off for the owner, it was like a form of pension. But changes in the tax law have seen a huge amount of landlords getting out of the business because uh, rental income is classed as taxable income uh, and effectively some people who own one, maybe two houses uh, find themselves worse off. Isn't it time to look at that scenario again with a view to making it attractive to buy one house with a view to renting it out uh, rather than taxing one landlord the same as somebody who owns 20 houses? Well, first of all, the, the, the recent changes to the, the, the tax treatment of landlords have actually been to increase the tax allowances. So uh, uh, landlords get mortgage interest relief, and that has been uh, increased by Fine Gael to about 80% for standard lets and 100% if you take a housing assistance payment tenant. So there's a significant tax break there. But you're absolutely right. A lot of the semi-professional and accidental landlords who bought a single property during the Kelsey Tiger are now exiting the market. It's less to do for the tax reasons and it's more because they got into significant levels of neg- negative equity, but now the house prices are going back up again. They're simply getting out uh, and they're leaving at one end. And on the other end, the larger institutional investors, in some cases vulture funds, are entering in with new kind of build-to-rent developments. I, I, I've been calling for some time for a review of the entire tra- tax treatment of landlords because if you're an institutional investor, if you're a real estate investment trust, for example, you pay virtually no tax. Where if you're an accidental or semi-professional landlord, you could be paying, so long as you're legally compliant, 40 to 50% effective rate of tax. And there's clearly an unfairness in the system. What I would say, however, is is many people who bought uh, buy-to-let properties during the Celtic Tiger availed of Section 23 tax breaks, uh, and they are still getting tax rebates uh, from their mortgage interest relief. So anything we do on the tax side has to be very carefully considered. But I go back to the main point, the people who are uh, uh, to the pin of their collar at the moment are renters. They are the only group of people in our housing system who have got no relief from government at all over the last decade. Uh, And given where rents are, the most immediate priority is freeze the rents, then let's invest and fix the overall rental system and a review of tax treatment of landlords should be part of that. But ultimately, we need to move away from the era of the accidental and the semi-professional landlord. And whether a landlord owns one property, 10 or 100, they need to understand that this isn't a passive investment. This is a serious job, providing somebody with a home. It takes a lot of time and effort, as many accidental landlords learnt uh, uh, during the, the boom and the crash. And therefore, if people are going to enter into that profession, they need to do it understanding that it's not just you buy a home and you put a tenant in it, but you're providing a service uh, that requires a level of effort and a level of, of, of uh, uh, um, investment uh, above and beyond what I think a lot of accidental landlords thought when they originally bought those properties back in the boom. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes uh, tomorrow night. That's uh, Sinn Féin housing spokesperson Owen O'Brien there calling for, if you like, legislation to ensure there is a freeze on rents around the country. Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, there were some feisty exchanges in the Dáil last week when Minister for Social Protection and Fine Gael TD for me, the East Regina Doherty, got into a verbal spat with Independent TD Joan Collins. Have a listen to this. So I suppose the first thing I'll say to you is, is that we as a government uh, are investing more in the infrastructure of our water 
um, than I think at any time in the history of the state. Why has this minister taken so long to bring the amendments that he said he would bring in? Because I believe he is trying to bury the bill. And I am insisting that this minister will not do that as far as I'm concerned and hopefully as far as the people in this law are concerned in the opposition. Thank you. Again, um, last Corla, I'll tell you, we're a minority government deputy. You know, if, if the democracy, the vote that was taken at the committee that day had gone a different way, we'd be having a different conversation. And so what I'll say to you again is, is that if you had consensus for your view, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in. And what I've said... Um, Deputies, please. Do you want Minister me to answer Darty. or not? Or do everybody want to have a little blather amongst yourselves? Minister Darty, who is responding... Sorry, Minister. Sorry. Minister Darty is responding to Deputy Collins' question. The thing, Deputy O'Brien, about leaders' questions is, is you get to ask a question and then you're supposed to listen for the answer, not, not uh, slag Deputy, as Deputy you always O'Brien. do. Slag as uh, you always Deputies, do. Deputies, please. I'm going to so move on. There'll be no answer. Policy. There'll be no slag answer. Policy. I'm going to move on. There you go. Water, water everywhere, but it seems the politicians can't agree on how it should be managed. Well, to join me on the line right now is Joan Collins. Uh, Joan Collins, you want a referendum so that the, if you like, the ownership and the management of water provision is fully under public control. But it seems the rest of the TDs in Leinster House uh, don't agree with your calls. Um, Why do you think that is so? Well, Ken, first things first, um, the bill was passed unanimously in the Dáil in November 2016. No one voted against the bill. So there is a consensus in the Dáil itself that this bill should be passed and we should have a referendum. No one has come out against that. But what has happened is that it's been dragged out now three years with the Minister not coming back with an amendment that he promised he would bring the wording on to the committee. So it's not a question of voting. It's not a question of a consensus. The consensus is there, but the committee has allowed with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to give time to the minister to come back with workable amendments to the bill. As he said, now we don't feel that there needs to be those amendments, but we, even if we did, um, the minister has not uh, brought those workable amendments. And in a letter on the 15th of April of this year, he wrote um, that uh, he would have those worker amendments by the autumn of this year to bring to the committee. And that's why I raised it again last Thursday, because autumn has passed us by. We're into the winter. Five days, the door is going to rise for the Christmas break. And then we'd only have the max 40 working days to, for the minister to bring his workable amendments into the bill, uh, into the committee. So we, I can do nothing except... I requested the committee to have him uh, to set up this third stage, committee stage again in January to try and force the Minister's hand in bringing those amendments to the committee. Um, and they've agreed they will discuss that in January if the Minister hasn't brought those amendments uh, before the end of the Sure, year. but what I'm asking you is why do you think the government, if you like, is running a mile from this? Why do you think they just don't want to touch it? Because they don't want to bring in anything that will scupper future deals and privatisation of our water. Um, and, and clearly from the water movement and the reason why people stopped those water meters going in because they understood, really understood that every meter that went into the ground was closer to privatisation of our water services. And this government ideologically agrees with that. They want to try and do that by bringing in um, uh, charges for our water. Um, and I think they want to leave the door open for future governments, uh, either themselves or Fianna Fáil or whoever, if they're inclined to um, privatise our water services. 
So, I mean, do you think ultimately there's a fear here that any mention of a referendum um, and uh, the fact that you want the thing, if you like, uh, in public ownership, the government would appear wants it in private ownership, that this could prove contentious for the government and could even cost them votes uh, at the next election? Is that the case? Well, we are, are, are raised in that context um, that it's been three years, three years of dragging their heels, three years of trying to bury a bill that is, we have no problem with and we are supportive of bringing in clarifying legislation for the areas where they're concerned in. Um, but, uh, yeah, we want to make this, it will be an issue. Um, the Right to Water unions are writing to all the party leaders and groups in the Doyle and um, looking to meet them to say, why isn't this being progressed when you all agree with it? Um, and... Uh, if you don't, we will make it an issue in the uh, in, in the elections as, as we would have to. And we'd be calling on any government to bring in legislation within 100 days of being elected um, uh, to bring in a referendum for a public ownership of our water. Do you accept, though, that when the protest took place some years back uh, about the privatisation of water, that the government got their fingers burned so badly that this is something they simply just don't want to touch? Well, the protests were to oppose uh, the, the future, potentially future privatisation of water service. And also, um, people didn't pay, they came out in their towns, they stopped water meters, and they demanded that uh, this government reverse the decision they had made. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think to those people, I know from um, contact with people on Facebook and social media that people are very, very concerned that this uh, government has buried the bill to this um, and they will make it an issue in the in the general election. It has to be an issue in the general election, along with all the other important issues like housing, homelessness, health, and those issues that are, are, are out there. Well, do you think maybe perhaps the government want to leave the current situation as it is and just let it tick along? Of course they would, yeah. yeah. And that would mean that maybe in 15 years' time um, they could if they have a majority government and, and they don't need support of smaller parties and that, that they could possibly bring in privatisation of our water. Um, but that's why we feel it's really, really important that the, uh, we have a referendum to put into our constitution protection of our water under, um, and that this government is responsible for the management, ownership uh, and maintenance of our water services. Well, Brussels, um, it seems, is driving governments right around Europe to privatise utilities. Um, do you think that perhaps uh, if Fine Gael, for example, was to get an overall majority uh, in the next, following the next election, that in fact, uh, under the, the baton of Brussels, that privatisation is coming in anyway? That is very, very true. Um, the neoliberal agenda of Europe is that you privatise our utilities, and one of them is water, because it's bigger than oil. Water, you know, it's, 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 it, it can be... The, the trajectory is all over the world to that, but in other circumstances like Germany and uh, France, they've actually reversed the decision that they made a number of years ago, decades ago, to privatise the water, and they're actually bringing it back under public ownership because these private companies are not delivering... Um, the maintenance of the water uh, pipes um, and, and the servicing of, of water to, to the public. So they've actually been forced to put them back under public ownership. Um, so th- this is going to be a battle over the next decades and water becomes more scarce and um, where water becomes more precious. Um, private companies see it as, as making huge profits for them um, to their shareholders and all that. Um, so this will be a battle into the future as well. There's no doubt about it right across the world. 
Finally, Joan, if the numbers were to fall in a certain way following the general election, whenever that will be in the coming months, and just say someone like Independence for Change was to hold the balance of power, would that be, if you like, um, a bargaining chip for you that you would insist that you wouldn't back any government unless there was a referendum on public ownership in relation to water? It'd be one of them, yes. <laughs> It'd be one demand that we'd make, but I can't see... I, I, My position always has been that I will not go into government with the right-wing parts of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael because um, it, it, we, we have to stop this charade, charade of the Lanigan's ball politics of one steps in and the other steps out and the other steps in and then they step out again and we just continue on with the austerity, with the problems in our health, our housing, um, our water system, um, uh, education, childcare, all these issues. So um, we've been, we've been putting huge demands on the next government, hopefully, um, uh, to bring in the referendum within a very short time of them setting up a government. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Joan Collins, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. That's uh, Joan Collins of Independence for Change. They're calling on the government to provide a public referendum to ensure that water remains in public ownership. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. Well, with each passing day, we're getting closer and closer to Christmas week. And Christmas can be the most wonderful and most worrying time of the year, say St. Vincent de Paul. They've launched their annual Christmas campaign and they say that they impact on something like 50,000 homes. Um, I suppose for those of us who have jobs and can pay our bills, everything is nice and dandy, but there are even those who have jobs and are struggling to pay their bills, and that's before we deal with those who don't have jobs at all, to, I suppose, get a, a feel of how tough it is out there. I'm joined by Kieran Stafford, who is the president of St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, good morning, Kieran. Good morning, Ken. Thanks uh, for having me on. First question I want to ask you is, I mean, how bad is it out there? Um... Well, this time of the year is a really dreadful time for many families. Uh, you mentioned the figure there of uh, the week that we uh, last year we visited about fifty thousand families to, to help them, you know, with the Christmas costs. This year we expect it to be around sixty thousand. Uh, it's a really anxious and, and difficult time for many families, uh, and you mentioned as well many working families as well. Um, it's just the the, the the costs of everyday living. Uh, many people are just struggling with that. So if you if you put in, uh, you know, the extra cost of, of an event like Christmas. Um, it, it just puts uh, terrible stress and, and worry on, on so many parents. When people knock on your door or ring your various phone lines, um, I, is it a case of you, you, you weigh up each situation on its own individual merits or do you have, a, if you like, a, a budget that you can only give so much per family or what way does it work? Yeah, no, we, we, we visit people in their homes and we bring them financial support and friendship. You know, so um, somebody would ring us and say, for instance, that they are struggling for Christmas. So we'll visit them and we may discover that there's uh, deficiencies there in relation to being able to meet education costs or they might have put a, a bill on the long finger. So, like, it's only from that face-to-face contact. Uh, you know, we don't sit at a computer and kind of make a calculation and say, oh, you've got two children or three children. We actually visit that person in our home. We sit down, we chat with them and we see exactly what the situation is. And we'll respond in, in the most appropriate way to help that person. Uh, let me quote uh, from a letter you received recently. Uh, it goes, unquote, I was really struggling when I reached out to St. Vincent de Paul volunteers. They visited my home and helped pay for oil. A warm house took so much pressure off me. 
I was able to get a few nice presents for the girls for a change and we had enough for the dinner. And the letter says that the St. Vincent uh, de Paul volunteers were like Christmas angels to us. Is that, if you like, uh, a common feedback you get from people who find themselves calling on your on your numbers to, for assistance? Yeah, I think the biggest reaction, uh, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, is when you go in and you sit down and you talk to somebody, um, it's the relief of being able to tell somebody, you know, what the problem is and what the difficulty is. Um, for any of us who are lucky enough not to be uh, living in poverty, we don't really understand the concept, you know, that poverty is, is very uh, isolating. Some people don't even, aren't even able to tell the members of their own family that they're struggling or that they're in difficulty. So to be able to tell somebody, and sometimes it's easier to tell a stranger, uh, you know, that these are the problems uh, and, and this is why I'm in this particular situation. And for many people, it's not actually their fault. They're trying to do their best. You know, they're trying to uh, provide the best that they can for their children. Uh, and they just get knocked back at every at every um, uh, uh, possible chance, you know. So, so, like, it's great for somebody like us to come in uh, and have a look at the situation and be able to support them. We generally view poverty as something that affects people who are poor, who don't have a job, who perhaps don't have skills and have difficulty getting themselves into the workplace. But uh, do you find that more and more middle class people, for example, are, are calling on you for assistance? Yes, we do. Um, you know, there's a figure there that there's about 110,000 people currently in the country who are working and are in poverty. Uh, people are struggling with bills, uh, rent being the uh, most uh, difficult one to um, uh, handle. Um, even if you're lucky enough to be in a local authority house, that the rents are high, the utility bills have gone high. Uh, people are trying to uh, do the best that they can for their kids and pay for, you know, whatever extracurricular um, activities their, their, their kids um, uh, may be able to avail of. You know, if we're talking about something as simple as going swimming during school time, uh, maybe being in a dance troupe or something like that. You know, so like we're not talking about anything luxurious by any manner or means. You know, we're talking about the simple, basic things that we all take for granted. And do you find that some people come to you and they say, look, I would have come to you many years ago, but uh, my pride was, if you like, uh, going to be injured if I knocked on your door. Do you find that some people just, it's beneath them to knock on your door, but when they do, uh, they realise how beneficial you are? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I I think it it could any of us imagine what it must be like to uh, make that call, to invite strangers into your home and to tell them... uh, what you would perceive to be your failures. I mean, uh, we keep saying to people all the time, look, it's not your fault. You've done your best. You've done everything that you possibly can. But it's extremely difficult. And people would say that to us. But, you know, once we make the contact, you know, once we, we sit down and, and they, 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 they see that we're not going to judge anybody, um, you know, it, it, it's a big source of relief you know, for, for, for people who, who come to us. And do you also find that perhaps most people who call on you for assistance are unaware of MABS? Uh, some would be and some wouldn't. Uh, MABS are an excellent organisation. Um, uh, you know, we're very lucky to, to, to have them and we work very closely with them. Uh, they um, do great work with people in helping them to budget and sometimes it's a budgeting problem. Uh, and MABS do this, this uh, great um, uh, process with people. They get them to keep a financial diary over about four or five weeks. 
and it's a brilliant uh, um, uh, thing to go through. I think any of us could could certainly avail, you, you know benefit from it. And you write down every single thing that you you, you spend your money on, uh, and it's only then when you look back over the four weeks and you can kind of identify areas where you maybe you know I bought that cup of coffee, or maybe you know I, I did X, Y, or Z, and maybe I could cut back a little bit there, and it would uh, allow me a little bit more money for the more important things. So it's a great exercise for anybody to do, but it certainly is very helpful for people who are on low income. Um, have the scandals that hit charities in recent years affected your ability to raise funds? Uh, I can't. I can honestly say no. That it hasn't. Uh, we're very, very fortunate, and we never take for granted the trust that the public uh, put put into in, into us. Um, this year we're, we're celebrating that we're in Ireland 175 years, you know, so we've been here over, uh, 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 you know, the famine, two world wars, a war of independence, countless recessions, uh, and we work locally in our in our community, so people know us uh, and people trust us, and we must never take that for granted. Well, you have offices here in the North East. Um, if people want to donate or volunteer or get involved, who do they get in touch with? Uh, you can donate through our website, svp.ie, or you can donate uh, locally. We had a collection at the weekend, but uh, I think most people locally would know uh, uh, through the church or otherwise or would know members of the society if they wanted to make a donation. We have 240 shops around the country if you want to make a closed donation. If you want to drop in a, a tin of biscuits or, or a tin of sweets, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that they go to, to, to a very needy home. Uh, so there's many different ways, uh, and if you access our website, you'll see all of, of, of the different uh, uh, food appeals and various different things. We're very fortunate, we're very lucky. There's so many community groups, schools, colleges uh, that run you know, ties and, and food drives at this time of the year, and, and that's what supports us to be able to help people in our own communities. Okay, well, look, thank you very much indeed for joining us, uh, and uh, best wishes to all your volunteers in St. Vincent de Paul in the coming weeks, and let's hope uh, that the people you engage with have a happy Christmas. That's uh, Kieran Stafford there, the President of St. Vincent de Paul. Okay, we're almost about out of time. Uh, Marie joins me in studio with more of your comments. What are they saying? I'll just give one comment, Ken, because uh, Des was in touch and he wasn't too happy when you were saying, sure, it's not the government's fault that... um, The FBI are in trouble. Yes, in relation to the FBI, because he feels that the government... has had an inkling that there was something amiss for a long time, but mm. that nobody was prepared to do anything about it. And he says that the Sports Council gave huge amounts of money to the FAI and was nobody looking at how this was being spent. Well, that was the question I put to Fergus O'Dowd, that perhaps it's time to assess how every single penny is, is spent. But the FAI, at the end of the day, is a privately run operation for people involved in soccer. It's not a state-run body. It's not a state agency. It's just that the government gives a donation. John, finally, and I'll finish on this one, says, is it not time for the FAI to be completely scrapped and a new body set up? Well, that's what uh, is going to emerge in the coming weeks. We'll see if uh, a decision is taken to dissolve the FAI and start fresh. OK, that's that's what we have then for this morning. Marie, thank you very much indeed. And indeed, Marie Kearns uh, produced our programme this morning. Paul McKenna was on sound. I'll be back again tomorrow morning and we'll talk to you then. So on behalf of all the team and myself, Ken Murray, a very good morning to you. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.